Well, I want to say welcome, and uh, it's good to be here. I was not here last weekend, um, and I missed you guys. Thank you to Pastor Scott for preaching. And uh, if you're wondering where I was, um, I was in Moorestown, New Jersey, which is just outside of Philadelphia. I was doing some scouting uh, for the Pacers and trying to kind of, you know, check out the 76ers. And no, I wasn't doing that. But I was with this guy right here, uh, and maybe you, uh, many of you may recognize him. This is Reverend Jim Caps. Um, so, uh, Five or six years ago now, he was the interim pastor here, uh, and so I was there at his church. Um, I had the opportunity to kind of just be with them uh, and help to lead kind of a, a lay renewal a weekend that they had. It was a great time, but Jim Caps was much loved there, just as I know he was much loved here, and so he sends his greetings uh, from New Jersey to here. Today is actually his very last, so he says, his very last Sunday. He's 73 years old now. He's, he, well, he's not ready to retire. His wife is ready for him to retire, and so, um, but he sends his greetings, and so thank you um, for allowing me to be gone uh, last weekend, but it was good to be there. So, And so we're continuing now, uh, of course, in our look at the book of James. It's been, uh, for me at least, uh, kind of a great um, re-examination of this uh, remarkable but difficult uh, book. And so we're going to uh, look at today at chapter 2, uh, verses 14 through 26. So I invite you to hear these words from James. James writes this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? And if a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is barren? Was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was what brought to completion, was brought to completion by the works. Thus the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a person that is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, it was not Rahab the prostitute, was not, I can't read today. Likewise, was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. And sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and let's pray. God, we gather around this morning giving you praise on this beautiful day with this reminder, Lord, of our beautiful call that we have already heard for us to be about your work in our community and across the globe. So we pray, Lord, that you would continue to encourage us in this call. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. 
So just as a quick reminder, um, when it comes to the book of James, one of the things that we believe is that James is trying to help us to do a couple of things. Uh, one of those is that James is, is, is hopefully helping us so that when we go to bed, we are shaped more like Jesus than when we woke up. Right, So that every day we are slowly growing to look more and more like Jesus. And then secondly, that when the sun sets, that our community and our world looks more like the kingdom of God than when the sun rose. Right? And this is always a slow process. Right, Throughout the Gospels, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, he'll, he'll use something like a mustard seed, something that grows very slowly. But each and every day, we are being shaped, hopefully, if we can listen to what James has to, to say, shaped more like Jesus, and our community is looking more like the kingdom of God. But what James is fully aware of, and what he repeats again and again and again, is the fact that you have to do more than just intellectually consent to what Scripture is saying or what Jesus has told us to do, that you have to actually begin to practice those things, right? And so the analogy that I keep using and that hopefully will get through to us is that if you want to change your physical shape in a better way, right, you can't just know that the salad has 300 calories while you keep eating the French fries with cheese on top that's 1,200 calories, that your simple knowledge that the salad would be healthier is not going to change your physical shape. Trust me, I have tried. It doesn't work, right? You have to actually begin to practice that if you want to be shaped differently. And in the same way, it is not enough for us to simply know what Jesus has done and what Jesus calls us to. We have to actually begin to practice that, and then spiritually, we begin to take on a shape that looks more and more like Jesus. Now, before we kind of dive into the scripture today, this seemed like this was a good opportunity to look a little bit more at the context of James and to see what that might teach us. I think it's helpful, especially with this particular passage, to understand a bit more about the culture in which James is living. Uh, about, I think it was in 2011, so maybe around seven years ago now, there was a, there was a woman uh, named Amy Chua, uh, and she is a Chinese-American woman and a Yale professor uh, of law at the School of Law there, and, and she wrote an article, and then she wrote a book, right, and the book was called The Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother. Does anyone remember this? Well, this this generated quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of heat um, in the in in the American circles, if you will, because she began to talk about parenting. And as you know, if you want to kind of you know generate a bunch of emotion when it comes to uh, to any conversation, just start talking about parenting, and then. If you want to risk your life, start telling people that you think that they may be parenting other, your, their children incorrectly. It's, it's pretty exciting. And so, so she wrote this book where she began to talk about these things. And, and she, what she did was she was trying to address, she said, you know what, many people have wondered how Chinese parents, you know, somewhat, you know, stereotypically, but how they, they are able to raise these stereotypically successful children. And she said, well, if you want to know why, I'll, I'll just kind of tell you why in terms of my own children. Here's what we allowed them to do. Here's what we didn't allow them to do. They, they could never have a play date. They could never have a sleepover. There was no television, uh, no video games. 
Um, they always had to play an instrument, either the piano or the violin, and they had to practice that for two to three hours a day. Um, that no grade under B, under the under B was was or less than a B was ever acceptable. Um, there are no sports, um, no no working in the theater, uh, nothing like that. And then she went on to say that she thought that Western parents oftentimes treated their children or handled them with kid gloves, uh, no pun intended, that they were far too worried about their self-esteem than what they actually needed to be. Uh, She said that that too many uh, Western parents think that their children are fragile, whereas um, in a a more Eastern kind of culture, if you will, uh, they see their children as being strong and being able to handle kind of difficulties and things like that. And so so she went on to kind of talk about the fact that she had no problem telling her kids, uh, I think she had two of them, I could be wrong on that, but that that when they were being lazy or self-indulgent. In fact, she describe this kind of this, this this dinner party that they were at they were all sitting around a table I guess and and, and she didn't know uh, the other couples all that well but in the midst of it she began to tell them that there was a time when her um, a daughter was treating her with disrespect and so she called her garbage the mother called the daughter garbage and 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 and, and all of a sudden like this dinner table as you can imagine got really awkward in fact one of the women ran out crying in that dinner. Now, I've had some pretty awkward dinners, but I'm not sure I've had too many that have been quite that awkward. And and, and so, of course, then, there was this great hullabaloo about all of this. And my point this morning is not to talk about where I agreed or whether I disagree. I'm smart enough to to, to know I better not do that. Um, But rather, what I want to address is the fact that this isn't really simply about how one person parents uh, her children. But rather, what we saw in the midst of that was a clash of cultures. And, 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 in, and in, you know, in the, in the more of the, the Asian culture, um, as you probably know, there's this sense of, a, of shame and honor. And that's how they kind of understand life. Uh, whereas in the Western tradition, we tend to be more about guilt and innocence, right? And, and neither of those, it's not, it's not right or wrong. It's just a very different way of kind of understanding your community, your children, everything, really. And I bring all of that up. Because I think it's important for us as Westerners to understand that actually uh, the, the culture of which James is writing is much more like the Eastern culture of today of shame and honor, right, than it is of ours of guilt and innocence. It's a much more kind of communal sense. Uh, and so the sense of trying to shame people um, was not just done to try to ridicule them, but rather was tried to do in order to reveal negative things so that then they would bring more honor to them themselves, but also to the community. And this is very much how James is kind of writing here, which is important because if you listened at all, you could tell that James is really really ridiculing uh, the people to whom he is writing. I hope that you were able to hear that uh, because James is a bit of a tiger mother, if you will, right here. Because James says this, James says, what good is it if you say you have faith but do not have works? What would that even look like? If a brother or sister comes in who is lacking clothing and anything to eat and you piously say to them, oh, go in peace, keep warm, I hope. 
hope you can find some clothing out there and you don't give them anything at all, then your faith is dead. And then, of course, he goes on to say, because the tiger mother is not yet done, because he says, oh, oh, this is so good. You believe that if you have faith in one God, oh, that everything is okay. Oh, you do so well. You know what? Even demons do that. And they shudder. You senseless one, or literally it says, you empty-minded person. I love the way the message puts it, which is, do you suppose for a minute that you can cut off faith and works and you will not end up with a corpse on your hands? This is a pretty powerful imagery that, that James is trying to give us as a way of saying, Wake up. That woke you up. I saw that. Wake up, nine o'clock. Wake up. Do not deceive yourselves for one moment. If you believe that you can just talk about the faith and go around and say all of these nice, warm, pietistic things and not actually do anything, it is like you are holding a corpse in your hand. And James is saying this cannot work. See, I think the reason why James, again, is doing this is not because he's necessarily angry, though he may be. It is because James has a fear. I, I think, actually, it, it, it's very similar to, to why it's very difficult to talk about parenting. Uh, we don't usually say this, but usually the reason why we don't want to hear about parenting or about whether or not we aren't parenting good or whether we are is because most parents, as in like 100%, I would say, uh, we all have this fear that we're messing our children up. In some way, right? I mean, most of us have this fear that we're messing them up. But I think actually what we're really fearful of is that we are both messing them up and that they will blame us someday for that. Right? Which again, as I always try to say, stop worrying about that. They will blame you. Right? They will go to college and when they come back, oh, they will bring the heat. Right? You know that, right? But it's this fear oftentimes that we have. And I think in the same way, James has this enormous amount of fear that the church is going to believe that they can intellectually assent to some kind of gospel and not actually have it change the way they live and not actually have it ever change the community and the world in which they, in which they live and in which they inhabit. Right? And on the one hand, of course, what he's concerned about is the sense of hypocrisy. He's concerned that the gospel will never be able to spread if the people who are saying we believe don't actually ever engage in what the gospel tells us to engage in. Right. So there's that whole sense of hypocrisy, which we are familiar with. But I also think that there's something else that James wants us to say. This is what I want us to even more focus on this morning, which is the reality that what James is realizing is that not only if we aren't practicing will it hurt the faith of others, but that what James sees is that, is that it will also hurt our own faith if we try and disembody what we do from what we say we believe. 
And I think that this image of the body is where we really see that perhaps we have been asking far too often the wrong question. Here's what James says. He says, just as the body without the spirit is dead, so too faith without works is dead. Now literally, here is what James says. He says, just as if the body without breath Just like the body without breath is dead, so too is faith without works dead. And here's why I think what James, or here's where I think James is revealing that we oftentimes ask the wrong question. With great frequency, we hear the question, well, which is it? Is it faith or is it works? Is it faith or is it works? I can't tell. Which one's more important? How do we do this? And what James is saying is it's just like asking this question. And you tell me if you can answer this question. Would you rather breathe Or would you rather be alive? Would you rather breathe or would you rather be alive? You can't actually answer that question, right? Because if you're not breathing, you're not alive. And if you're not alive, you're not nicely done, right? So there's a sense that when you say, well, is it faith or is it works? No, no, no. You can never separate those two things. The work we do brings life to our faith. And the belief and the life of our faith helps to bring life to our work. There is no separation between those two. And when you try to separate them, you will end up with what in your hands? A corpse. Amy Tua, in this, uh, in, the, in this article, I actually more read the article. I was too nervous to read the book. In the article, uh, she, she talked about this particular um, uh, uh, time when her daughter, Lulu, who was seven years old at this point, was playing the piano, of course, right? Because that's a part of her rules. And so she was playing the piano, and there was one part that was very, very difficult, and she just couldn't get it. She just kept trying and trying for days, and she couldn't get it. Until finally, the day before she was to have another practice, her daughter, Lulu, just ran out of the room. She said, forget it. I'm not trying. I'm, I'm done with it. I'm tired of it. Not surprisingly, right? Amy Tua said, oh, no, 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 no. Get back in here. Sit down. You are going to keep working on this. And so that's exactly what happened. So she kept practicing and she kept practicing and she kept practicing until finally she got it. She nailed that one incredibly difficult part. And when she did, not too surprisingly it seems to me, she didn't just say, oh, okay, I got that. Now I'm done. Now I'm leaving. No, no, no. When she finally did it, all of a sudden... She got excited about the fact that she could do that. All of a sudden, because she completed that, she thought her belief in the fact that she could do it and that she could be a good piano player, all of a sudden those things were renewed. And so what did she want to do? She wanted to keep practicing. She wanted to keep working because of the fact that she had, she had, had succeeded and her belief had grown. And as your belief grows, then you want to begin to practice more. And the more you practice and the better you get, and the more that you kind of re- re- get fruit from that, the more that you begin to believe, right? That this is really how this works. This is why faith and works, it's not an either or, it is a both and. Right? And so when it comes to something like hospitality, right? This is what Abraham and Rahab that James brings up. They're both known in the Old Testament as being really good at hospitality. And when you're really good at hospitality, when you begin to practice that and you begin to see the fruit of that, all of a sudden you begin to think, wow, so, so I know that I was supposed to welcome people just as God has welcomed me. I believe that. And now that I've done it and begin to see the fruit, this is amazing. And now I understand and believe it even 
even more this, what God has done for me. And as you do that, then you begin to become even more hospitable. It's this sense of breathing, right, that just continues when it comes to generosity. I know that everything I have is a gift from God. When you begin to actually become generous and begin to put your belief to work, then all of a sudden as you begin to see how that generosity begins to change people and change the world to look more like the kingdom of God, then all of a sudden your belief in the generosity of God begins to grow. And as that begins to grow, then you want to begin to do more. Is this clear or do I need to continue? There's this sense of how faith and works, right? Think about that. Breathing. You breathe in the belief. You breathe out the practice. You, 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 you breathe in the faith. You breathe out the works. Inhale exhale and the spirit of God begins to renew you and begins to work in you in the midst of that you guys know I love the importance of loving one's literal neighbor I don't know if you've heard that or not but here's what I've here's what I have learned is that is that when people begin to parrot things back to you it means that you have begun to finally get through which is great because now as soon as I say that I see people's it's kind of like with my children I see their eyes kind of go oh geez here he goes again which means it's working right and so several weeks ago now, I got to hear uh, the story about a ZPC family who decided to, to reach out to their literal neighbors. And so they invited them um, via email because they had already met them previously, like uh, I think several months earlier. And, and then they were kind of reaching out again and said, hey, we want to we be able to get together sometime. And so, uh, you know, let's get together. And I love this because it always confirms my suspicions, which are no longer my suspicions. They're my belief, which is the sense that we believe, most of us, far too often that everybody is content that everyone's doing okay, that no one, they don't want anyone to reach out to them. They're doing fine. Because it was this great little email kind of um, going back and forth where you could tell they, they, that the neighbors weren't sure why exactly it was that the ZPC family was reaching out to them. Right? Because you always, they were like, what's the occasion? In other words, is this Amway? Right? And, and, and so we, we are, if you sell Amway, that's great. No offense, no offense. But but we live in a society, by and large, where we always think that someone is trying to sell us something. And that nobody is just offering to have us come over just because they want to love them. Right? And, and so it's great this kind of going back and forth the week leading up. And even the day of, or maybe it was the day before, the email was like, look, if something comes up, that's fine. Don't worry about it. You know? I mean, there's all just this trepidation, right? Um, which was just, which was great. So then the family came over, and I think, in the, or the couple came over uh, to where the family lives. And I think maybe it was a little bit uh, nerve-wracking at first. Those things are always a little bit nerve-wracking. Uh, but then about three or so hours later, it was clear that they were comfortable, right? And, and so it was this kind of remarkable experience. And then the, the, the next day, um, uh, the, the neighbors emailed back, and I love this. They just said, you know, hey, thank you. And, and one of the things that she said was, um, um, we want to be good neighbors. And, and, and it was this cool thing of, what, of when you approach someone and say, hey, being a neighbor is important to us, of how then all of a sudden they say, oh, yeah, we want to be able to do this as well, right? This is the way that things begin to change. Remember, one by one, slowly but surely. But not only did I think, well, this is, this is great. You know, I love, I love the way that ZPC, ZPC reached out. I also loved the description, right? When I was being told about this, uh, this person says this, a ZPCer said this, said, in a small corner of the world, a victory of connection and love was given life, and for that we can celebrate. 
that in the invitation to this neighbor, what she said was, was given life. I would also say was given breath. All of a sudden, there was a new relationship that was given breath, right? And what you know is that the ZPC family, I'm guessing, you know, that they look a little bit more like Jesus when the, when the sun went down that night, right, than when the sun rose. Why? Because they had taken a chance, right? It was nerve-wracking, but they knew what they were supposed to do. But not only that, now the kingdom of God in that little area right there, that area looked more like the kingdom of God that night than it did that morning. It was given life. It was given breath, right? And this is how our faith and our works work together. Last, uh, or several weeks ago now, maybe you know this, the, the, the first through fourth graders were raising money, or, um, or bringing in, I should say, actually, or bringing in cake boxes. Um, they were doing this for the food pantry. Uh, and, and, and so what they do, the food pantry, they have like this birthday box. So if someone comes in and they have a birthday and they don't have food for the, you know, to kind of celebrate, then they get a birthday cake and a few other things. And so, and so the first through fourth graders were bringing in these birthday boxes or these birthday cake boxes, I should say. Uh, they had hoped to, to, to bring in about 200. They actually brought in almost 300, right, which, is, which was great. And so that was exciting in and of itself. But then I got to hear a little bit more about uh, at least a couple of these kids. There's probably more for whom, you know, the way in which they brought in the birthday boxes, right? That it wasn't always just like, hey, mom, hey, dad, you know, can you go buy something? But rather, uh, there was one girl who, um, who she took her birthday money that she made, and then she went and bought birthday and bought birthday cake boxes with the money that she had received for her own birthday. I think she was maybe a third grader. Uh, and then I just, I just heard about another uh, a young lady. Uh, it's all the ladies. I don't know what the boys were doing. I'm sure they were doing a lot. But <clears throat> another young lady who decided, hey, she asked her parents if she could do chores, and if she did chores, if then they would get more birthday boxes for that. And as I thought about those kind of stories, I was reminded of what James said, right? Do you remember what, what James said, you know? If someone comes in and they lack clothing or they have nothing to eat, and you say, go in peace, keep warm, I hope you can find some food. No, don't be a corpse, right? And what's so great is to hear about these children who are learning, and this is when they need to learn these things. These children who are learning that their faith and their belief in Jesus is a great joy, and they receive that love with great joy. But that doesn't mean that they are done. But rather, out of that then, they begin to provide for others. And so our having the food pantry here, where they get to see and participate and to show how their faith begins to work, they do that with great joy. And the more we can teach them that, the more that they will understand how foolish it is to say, is it faith or is it works. And the more that they are able to see the joy in the life of their work, the more that their faith begins to grow. It is not one thing or the other sisters and brothers in Christ. It is all of these things together. And in a time when, let's be blatantly obvious, when the church in America seems to be dying in many different ways, I think that the first place to begin is not by trying to figure out how we can do something fancy or slick to attract more people. I think the place that we begin is by asking the simple question, is our faith and our works, are they aligned and are they working together? 
And if they are, I feel with great certainty that we will be able to grow our faith more and more and more and be able to grow our work more and more and that we will begin to breathe and have more and more life. I want to say just one other caveat, which is the reality that sometimes in the midst of our work, the fruit will not always be quite so glorious. That there are times, and it's good for us to be very mindful of this, there are times when maybe you invite a neighbor over and it gets awkward, like Amy Chua's dinner table awkward, and it doesn't work out. I was reminded of Fritz Breisch who, who stood up here a couple of months ago and he talked about his work with the Jeremiah house, with the, with the house where we kind of help those who have gone through the, the drug addiction and alcohol addiction program, how, how they come into the house and how there are a lot of times when there are disappointments. But the reality, of course, is in the midst of the disappointment of that work and not seeing fruitfulness, it is his belief, it is his faith that gives him life to continue to keep pursuing that work. But because of that, in those moments where he sees lives transformed, all of a sudden then, his faith is given new life. Sisters and brothers in Christ, what I want us to do is to be a people who are breathing in our faith and who are exhaling the work of God, who are breathing in what we believe and who are exhaling the practices of God. This is why this whole series and and this week and and more specifically, we're asking you to be hospitable in some way. Maybe that means inviting someone over for dinner, but being hospitable also just means that maybe you're just kind of creating space, right, to listen, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Whatever it may be, to ask yourself, in what ways am I creating space in the knowledge that as we begin to do that, We believe that we will see the Spirit of God begin to breathe life into that relationship. And as that continues to happen, then we believe our faith is renewed. Breathe in of our faith. Breathe out of our works. It is not one or the other. It is both of them. And as we do so, may the Spirit of God bring in new life and new breath to this community and to our neighborhoods and into the world. Amen? Let's pray. God, we believe, but we know that you also, in so many ways, Lord, you expose at times our unbelief by the ways in which, with great frequency, we do not always work out our faith in fear and trembling, but instead we simply Allow our thoughts to be our thoughts and our deeds to be something solely different. And so we pray, Lord, knowing that if we want to be shaped more like Jesus, and if we desire this kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven, we must breathe in of our faith and exhale the call that you have given to us to bring your love, your hope, your grace to our neighborhoods, to our community, and to our world. It's in your name we pray. Amen.